Welcome to Kingdom Builders, where you can learn to live on mission for God. If you want to see more people saved and increase your impact on the kingdom of God, this is the place for you. Every week, we will have guests who are actively living on mission for God, and you will hear practical advice on how you can become better at sharing Jesus with your world. the Kingdom Builders podcast where we discover how to live on mission for God. Uh, today, we have two very uh, special guests with us, uh, Jay Moon and uh, Bud Simon, who are the authors of Effective Interculture Evangelism. And, and so as we look at how uh, different cultures are becoming parts of our community, uh, most of us wonder how in the world are we going to reach these folks? Uh, and so I guess the first question that I would ask is that sometimes we get depressed, I feel like, because we know we're supposed to tell people the good news. And and I feel like we may try, you know, and it's easy to tell our neighbor next door, hey, this is the gospel. But when it comes to uh, different cultures, you know, it, it, it's a whole nother ball game. And so in the introduction of your book, you talk about uh, reframing evangelism. And so what does that mean, and how how can that help us be more successful in reaching people? Yeah, that's a great question, Matthew, and we have lots of students that feel that way. Like, they start off and say, how do I engage people in my work, at school, in my neighborhood, who are either Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, and for six years, we've been training people to do this, and the exciting thing is we find that people have been increasing their competence 300% and their confidence 100%. Wow. At the end of every semester, we have a meal together and they invite people who are not yet churched. So recently we had uh, two Muslims come, three Hindus come. And then by the end of the time, they, they practice what they've been taught, like how to listen well, to understand the worldview and engage them in a meaningful conversation. At the end, they always say this, man, that was actually fun. And we enjoyed that. And when I asked yeah. them, can we do it again? They say, yeah, we can do that again. And we will. So <laughs> they've often had follow-up conversations like uh, the Muslim gentleman, one of the students in the class followed up with him. They've gone to church together, et cetera. So it takes some of the mystique out of it. And I think part of the problem is in the past, we kind of thought the gospel is just like a rote formula that you have to get across to people. Yeah. And if it's really catching up on a conversation that God has already started, and that conversation is different based upon the worldview of the people you're engaging. Wow. And I'll, I'll just chip in there, Matthew, too. A lot of, um, you know, I don't want to just make a broad generality, <laughs> but a lot of times we, what we find in the church is that we're trying to do evangelism based off of what we'll call um, models from, from a different cultural perspective. So a lot of um, evangelism was designed in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, these systems. They were, they were designed to how to reach the most people mo in the quickest way possible. Mm. So it's what we call low-context evangelism. Yeah. You meet someone on the street, and you hand them a, a flyer or a tract, and you talk to them, and five, you try and give them this little five-minute presentation. And... Um, and what that is really designed around is that's designed around one worldview um, 
from from what we would call the guilt innocence worldview. And it really is focused on that. And so what happens is that just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. You know, you say you say to people, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more in the interview. Um, you say to people, well, you know, everyone sins, and since you sinned, then you need you need salvation in your life. Mm. But they're like, I don't, I don't have a problem with sin. Huh. Like then you then you get in this argument. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, you <laughs> right, and it right. doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. Well, what happens is um, there is only one gospel, but we can think of that gospel like a prism or a diamond. When you look at it from different perspectives, you're going to see different lights coming through and different different facets of it. And so um, when Christ uh, called people to follow him, he did not say, well, you're a sinner. Let's get this worked out first, right? He was kind right. of speaking through a different worldview. And uh, so those things are important. The gospel, this isn't just uh, uh, something we thought up on our own. The gospel really supports this. And when you go into the book there, uh, there's, you know, there's scripture all throughout about how each of these different worldviews is addressed within scripture. Yeah, so it's interesting, Matthew, that Jesus never presented the gospel the same way twice. Yeah. But unfortunately, hmm. the 20th century, we kind of boiled it down to like four laws or two questions or whatever, right? Right. And so the basis of our book is that God is having a conversation with everybody. Let's catch up on that conversation where it is and move that conversation towards Jesus. Those conversations have these four worldview starting points that when people understand that, it helps them to engage those who, whether they're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Wicca, whatever. That, I like that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, our world and communities obviously are becoming more diverse. You know, like even in my community where where I, I'm the pastor at, I mean, there's a growing uh, Hispanic population. And, uh, and so a lot of times I find myself using uh, Google Translate to witness or, uh, or also now we have a uh, <clears throat> Spanish church on our campus. And so I'll just be like, hold on, I got a pastor for you. And then call him and be like, hey, I got a church member for you. And then give the phone to them and they have a conversation. Um, so, you know, what are some like just first steps that we can take to do effective intercultural evangelism? Right. So that's a great question, Matthew, because, um, you know, in the 2020 census, I think the numbers come out to either 13% or 14% of the U.S. population is immigrants. Really? That means they were born in some other country. And then when you push that out just a second or third generation, third generation isn't that far. That means maybe your grandparents were born in a different country. You're up into numbers like half the U.S. population. Wow. So that means going to someone who's a close relative and maybe you know a different language, but you know they have a different culture. Um, that's my case. My grandparents were born in a different country. Uh, when I would wow. go to their house, I would hear them. They would pray in a different language and things like that. And Wow. Um, yeah. And so really... Uh, we, when we say uh, we have to think about things from different people's points of view, um, that's, and we need to make friends with people who are different than us. It's just that simple. We need to look and think, um, how many, how many Latinos do I have as friends? You know, how many, uh, how many people of a different race or different ethnicity do I have as friends? So recent, uh, recent, again, uh, information says about 
20% of the US population identifies as Hispanic. Okay. So that means one out of five people. Wow. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of uh, people, you look around and you think, uh, how's that play out in your life? You know, um, how are we reaching these different people? And again, um, the thought is this. We're not taking God somewhere. God is already there in that person's life at work. Okay. So then the, the thought is, how can we join God in that conversation? And the, the beauty of this is, is that um, instead of thinking, oh, I have to persuade this person, I need to convince them of something. Right. So it's like, no, um, I'm, I'm really seeking God. I'm not seeking to bring them to my point of view. I'm seeking God in that person's life and how he's directing that person. Um, you know, too often it just gets into that, uh, we, it, it can get into that area where we feel like, man, I got to persuade this person. Uh, I have to let them know that what they're doing is wrong. Um, I have to, you know, I have to tell them all these things. Um, and we make a very kind of very, we put an emphasis where, where we don't see Christ putting the emphasis. Mm. So, for example, when you talk to the woman at the well, he didn't ever tell, you know, it never comes up. Hey, you need to stop living with this guy or you're a bad person because he divorced all these other men. <laughs> that never is part of the recorded in scripture. Right. But a lot of times as Christians, that's, that's where we want to start. We want to start, you know, and, um, and that kind of messes it up because God's at work there. And so we have to think about, well, how, how can we join that conversation that God has? So we want to look for people that are different than us. Uh, anyone that's immigrated to this country is looking for friends here. They're mm. looking for people who can help them find a good mechanic, help them wow. understand uh, who can do repairs on their home when they have problems at their home, uh, who can help them understand the healthcare system, school system, looking for all these types of people. And so in a sense, you as a resident or you know whatever American that is, is an, has insider information because you've grown up in that system. Correct. And so when you befriend them and say, hey, let me help you find someone who can fix that or let me come over. Uh, one guy said, hey, someone gave us a Christmas tree. In our country, you never had Christmas trees, but my kids are excited. Wow. Um, I don't know how to set it up. And I said, well, I'll, I'll come over and help you set it up. <laughs> yeah, he right, right. So excited. His kids, were, everyone was excited. You know, they were just, they were just out, um, just totally excited. And it just opens doors in so what, positive ways. So what we're talking about really is we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit right. in a process that God has already started. Yep. And therefore, instead of trying to sell them something or to get through a programmatic thing that we need to present to them, yeah. we're trying to continue that process of leading them to Jesus. And it really starts by listening really well. It used to be we thought evangelism just talking a whole lot. And now we realize we really need to listen really well to see where God's at work, <clears throat> recognize that there are different starting points that Jesus often used, and uh, lots of examples in the Bible. And then once we do, we start to share our story, how that, that connects with their story in order to provide a biblical parallel that connects with their story. Right. So this is really, it's actually a lot more fun. It, it's not like a used car salesman trying to sell something. This is really um, connecting where life is with people and finding the Holy Spirit in it and cooperating with that process. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's good. And, and I like how y'all point out uh, about the friendship, you know, uh, because in, realistically, you know, there's statistics out there that, you know, a lot of times we try to invite people to church and, and they don't come, 
but you know if if they're invited by a friend they're almost 90 percent more likely to come to church you know so realistically like what y'all are talking about if we just make somebody our friend we we up the ability for them to to come to church and and i feel like you know this idea of what what y'all are talking about is uh is very good because i don't know anybody who doesn't want more friends you know like just uh but how how would you say though you know you're talking about joining this conversation with god like how do you find those people that God's already working in? Yeah, well, thankfully, um, just by engaging in the world, whether where you work, whether you're at school, whether you're out at play, like basket, whatever, you know, the playground, et cetera, you're going to find most likely people that are different than you now. Right. So the assumption is that there's a different starting point. And the way that I heard the gospel, and often, I mean, unfortunately, about 99% of the time on the radio, it's all assuming this guilt justice worldview where you're a sinner, you've done wrong, and therefore Jesus takes our sin upon himself to remove our guilt so we have just standing before God. Well, that's great for about one of those four worldviews, but what if somebody's indifferent or what if they're in fear? Or what if they're in shame? Mm. So you're, you're looking for people and you're listening to the conversation to find out which of those worldviews is most relevant to them. And as you do, then that's a very different starting point. So in the end, you'll start differently with everybody because uh, the friendship is different. Now, right. one person said that the difference between being heard and being loved is imperceptible. So mm -hmm. as you were intimating, Matthew, when somebody feels like they've really been heard and understood, they really feel like they've been loved. And that's what we're talking about. Like you're coming alongside to listen to where God is starting in the conversation. They feel loved in the process. You understand that worldview and, and move them further towards Christ. And that often leads to people accepting Jesus. Well, you know, that's, that's really good. Cause I feel like sometimes as, uh, you know, Christians or people of, of the church, you know, when we're dealing with other cultures or, or faiths, it's almost like we're afraid to listen to what they have to say because we don't, you know, we don't want to affirm Buddhism or Islam or anything like that. But like you said, if we don't listen to what they have to say about their situation or their faith, they're not going to listen to what we have to say because, I mean, we didn't listen to them. So why should they listen to us? And, and I feel like we don't have to be afraid, though, because we, we know that we have the answer. You know, we have the, the good news of Jesus. And so uh, we can listen to them and, and then we can respond with, with what we know. And, and that's, a, that's a great, great point. And so I, I really love how in y'all's book, y'all break down these, these different worldviews. And, and even looking at some of them, I feel like I know some, you know, people of, of our culture, you know, Americans that don't have this um this ju guilt justice worldview like kind of like what you was talking about earlier where it's like oh i i don't have a sin problem you know what's that you know i got rid of that i buried it in the backyard you know so um <laughs> how does worldview make or break a successful intercultural evangelism attempt yeah well i i first got onto this when i was a missionary you know for nine years in the bolsa area in ghana west africa and when I presented the gospel to them, like the four spiritual laws kind of approach, assuming they had guilt, they looked at me and said, well, that's interesting, kind of. 
<laughs> so I'd spend all this time to learn a language and live among them. And it's just like interesting information yeah. until I realized that that's not their worldview. They live in a fear slash power worldview where the result of sin is not guilt, but it's fear. They fear the spirit world, witchcraft, juju, et cetera. And what they're looking for in Christ is power, the power of God for salvation. Wow. And when I presented the gospel that way, that Jesus is the one who breaks the curse that's been put upon humanity. It's the power of God to overcome. They're like, man, tell me more. And as a result, after nine years, not because of us, often in spite of us, there's 25 churches in this least reached area. And a lot of it is finding like congruence in the worldview of where they are and how we connect the gospel that way. And as you mentioned in the U.S. right now, the whole uh, guilt experience has come down. And I think Bud will talk a bit more about the rise of shame, particularly with social media and the rise of fear, particularly among those who have addictive behavior. And the gospel addresses each of those conditions very differently. So there's good news for each of those but it provides a different starting point. Yeah. And I'll just say this, Matthew, too. I was in Brazil for 20 years. And so I had a similar experience, you know, many, many, but one stands out, uh, which is in the book also. But, um, you know, one, one night, uh, this woman was in our church and she had been a Christian for a while. And she always was after her husband to come to church. And, um, but he was, he was a drinker, you know, he was uh, kind of a, functional drunk and basically he didn't want to come he was very embarrassed because usually he'd get his money spend it all on drinking they had a lot of debts he wasn't really taking care of his family he knew that he was really embarrassed or ashamed of that so coming to church to be in the middle of a bunch of people that yeah. didn't approve of that was even worse but he finally came just because his wife kind of badgered him and so he sat in the back row of the church there and um and he was just real trying to avoid any contact with anyone. And everyone's just kind of looking around, not really paying much attention. <clears throat> well, um, you know, I went over to him and I, and I put my arm around him. And I said, man, I'm so glad you're here tonight. You know, it's, it's just an honor to have you here yeah. with us. And, and at our church, we have like little coffee and tea we serve beforehand. And I said, can I get you a coffee? Man, he, he was just shocked because as, as pastor of the church, I was the person that was um, one of the highest uh, people in the church, but right. he was kind of the, he was kind of the outsider, one of the lowest people. And so, in an honor shame culture, this was like spoke really loudly. This said, "Wow, I normal would be to ignore his presence, and not associate him with him, but this yeah. was like exceptional. It's very much uh, what we see in Scripture, where where Christ, everyone was always saying to Christ." Hey, why are you hanging out with those people? Mm -hmm. um, you shouldn't be hanging out because they're people of bad repute. They're, you know, publicans and sinners and prostitutes and all kinds of bad things. And uh, Christ honored them with his presence. And so um, what's happening in our culture today, now that was in Brazil, but what's happening is when we came back here to the U.S. about five years ago, suddenly I realized people today kind of relate more to that than they do to, um, to kind of this guilt justice worldview. And what's happened is that if you do something wrong, what I found out is this, if someone does something wrong, you go, hey, that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Go, so what? But if you say, hey, I'm gonna, put on, I'm gonna put on social media what you did. No, 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 don't do that. I don't want my <laughs> friend to know. Shame. That's what yeah. shame is. That's what shame is. Right. 
first one is kind of like this guilt thing. They're saying, well, I don't feel guilty about it, but I am ashamed or embarrassed of that. I don't want other people to know. I, I don't want that. And so, um, and so suddenly the whole thing with um, social media, you know, someone does something and within, a, within an hour, it can be known all over the world, you know? Mm. Yeah. So the beauty is that Jesus addresses the shame yeah guilt i'm sorry the shame honor worldview by an example like the prodigal son yes like when the son comes back he gives him the ring and the robe what's that that's all bringing honor back to the son that you're now restored wow. as a child of the family so jesus offers for those who are in shame he offers to restore honor that you're now part of the family of god again that's a very different understanding than <laughs> simply having your guilt removed like a judge you know um yeah um, that guilt that's upon you wow yeah in another places in scripture like the idea of calling god father and being a part of god's family see that so for a lot of americans that doesn't resonate because we see family as something we want to leave you know we're <laughs> trying to leave our family we're trying to get away from them a lot of times right but in that culture in an honor shame culture it's like oh wow i have this place to belong um i have this place someone that's looking out for me you know that's what it really means in in the best sense to have a dad who is looking out for you and taking care of you and providing you opportunities that you would not otherwise have so that's kind of like that honor shame and that's really on the rise especially in the u.s we see that with um a lot of the broken families that exist that uh that if you can be now i'm going to talk specifically as a male if as a male, you can be an honorable man in someone's life and say, hey, I'm actually here to help provide protection for you, not in a way that's like, not in a, um, any kind of violent way, but in a way that says, I'm gonna look out for your best interests. Yeah. You, you can ask me something, I'm just looking out for your best interests. And, um, and I'm here to help provide you opportunities. If you're having struggling with something, I'll, I'll see if I can call some people and, and do something in your favor. You know, that, those types of things speak really loudly. People are like, you know, especially in the millennial generation, they, they're like, wow, you know, my, no one in my family, my own blood relatives would do that for me. So that earns you, you know, that earns credit for Christ in their lives. Well, that's, uh, that's good. You know, basically what I hear you saying is that I feel like what my experience has been with people, you know, is before we give them a presentation of the gospel. We need to be presence. We need to give them that gift of presence and being present in their life. And after we're present with them in their life, they're a lot more willing to listen to the presentation. And, and just like what you're talking about, you know, um, I, I, I feel like we do see this a lot with, with the shame because uh, there, there was a couple in my church and uh, they had two, uh, a couple friends and and they invited them to come to church and so the the wife came and then the guy was nowhere to be found and then after church i find out uh he came to church but he came to the front door you know or to the steps and we'd already started service you know and but he just he he couldn't make that step inside the church house you know most likely because of of that shame experience you know and uh and this couple of my churches church members you know they they've told me you know when you ain't been in church or haven't been in church for like 10 years you know and you've lived this life it, it's really hard 
to to make that that step, you know. And and he has a lot of friends who he tries to share the gospel with and and buy to church. And and he tells me, you know, often that they they they're scared to come because they're scared of of that judgment. You know, they're scared of that that shame. And so what you're telling me is is spot on. I'm learning a lot for for just my community here. So this is really good stuff. Um, so in your book, you talk about this concept called holistic evangelism. So why is that important? And, and what are the benefits of doing this right? So what we say is that when your words match your deeds and they match your lifestyle, that's a very powerful witness of Christ that people have a very hard time shaking off. Yes. You know, like when your words and your deeds and your lifestyle all point the same direction. So I have a friend, uh, Mark DeMaz, who says that previous generation, they thought they looked for the gospel to have right information. Mm-hmm. But in this generation, particularly Gen Z, millennials, they're looking for right demonstration. And the reason is they've been marketed to, they've been spun different media to, and they always have like their BS meter up to see if this is legit <laughs> or not. You yeah. Know? So they don't want just information to be passed on to them. They want to see it demonstrated. They want to see how the gospel changes your life and how it influences the decisions you make. And particularly as we've noticed the rise of the worldview we call indifference. These are people who they don't feel guilt for their sin or shame or fear, but they're just basically indifferent to the gospel. And this is actually on the rise due to the research that we've done. And what they're looking for is belonging with purpose. So they want to belong to a community that has purpose through the way they live their lives. And we think the paradigm for that is like the Zacchaeus story. When Jesus comes to Zacchaeus's place, he doesn't criticize him for, you know, or talk about guilt or shame or fear, but he brings his disciples so that Zacchaeus feels like, feels like he belongs to that community. Mm, yeah. And as he belongs in the community, he's given a new purpose for his work. And therefore he says, you know, I will repay those I've defrauded. And that's when Jesus says salvation's come to this house, right? So this uh, demonstration of the power of the gospel is so important that people are looking for it. And when they see it, it's really attractive and it makes sense to them as opposed to either what they've seen on the media or uh, the the different advertising they've been, you know, thrown at. Um, Again, when the deeds and the words and the lifestyle line up, that's not a spin, That's, that's legit, that's reality. And that sinks home. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, that that's a that's a good point. And I do feel like that this generation looks for authenticity above everything else. Even, even if you're imperfectly authentic, you know, like they 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 and and I feel like sometimes with the younger generation, like when when you're real with them about their struggles, like it connects with them because they feel like, hey, this is a person that's gone through what I'm going through. This is not somebody that's on this high pedestal somewhere that, that cannot, um, cannot, cannot be touched. And so I do think that authenticity is very important. And, and what I've learned is in the, in the community that, that I'm in is that it's amazing how, uh, and, and it's kind of a lower income community, but like when you say something like, it doesn't matter if it's like, Hey, I'm going to pick you up a piece of candy from the store. You know, it, it can be very simple things like, 
Uh, but you, you have to follow through with that. Like that makes an impact on their life. If you don't, I mean, that's that they'll let you know that, you know, and, and so you're right. It's important to kind of back up what we say, because I mean, in reality, the, the good news, the gospel information is really powerful, but it's even more powerful when you have that gospel information, they know it. And then you give them a gospel demonstration where you show them, hey, I'm giving you the mercy that Christ showed me. And so that's that's really good. Uh, so uh, how can we begin building relationships with other cultures that live in our community for the good of the gospel? Because me, you know, I'm not probably like a person of Islamic descent. You know, we probably have a lot of differences. Uh, so What's some advice there? Yeah, so that that's a great question. You know, um, I let me share one one story here. When I yeah. was uh, well, I've been in school for a long time, but uh, when I was in school, there was uh, there was a guy I knew, and he was in a couple of my classes. Um, and then I would eat at the cafeteria, and I would notice uh, he never really either sat by himself. He kind of would look around for someone to sit with. So I would invite him over. I said, hey, come on over and sit by me and my friends. And he was from Iran, I, um, Iran or Iraq, I can't remember now. And um, I would joke around with these friends of mine and they'd say, you know, it was a typical thing. Uh, hey, what'd you bring for lunch? I brought this, what'd you bring for that? And, you know, like I remember yeah. giving this guy a sandwich. He took a bite of my sandwich, then he held his sandwich. And I took a bite of his and the Iranian guy, he says to me, he says, I know your brothers. I can tell you, I can tell you really love each other yeah. by that. Yeah. And um, by including him, by making space for him and listening to him and, and getting to know him, um, eventually I gave him an Arabic Bible. And when I gave him that Bible, he started crying. He says, really? no one's ever given me a Bible. They still, they consider the words of Jesus as holy and sacred. And he yeah. says, no one's ever given me a Bible. And much less a Bible in Arabic, you know. Right. And so, um, what happens is this: is when we, for people that are in school, a lot of the schools have large uh, international populations, and um, and so it's very easy to find international students. Uh, very easy to make connections with international students. No one, uh, the majority of international students, never get invited into someone's home. They might get taken out to a restaurant or something like that. Yeah. But for someone to say to them, hey, why don't you come over to our house for a meal? Uh, that just doesn't happen. Right. You know, it just, just is an exception. And so by inviting people over, by making space for them in your home for a meal or um, doing things like that, including them. Um, again, coming back to the whole immigration, immigrant community, you know, a lot of people, they don't know they're from other countries. They don't understand how... Um, how healthcare works or the school system works or, or where to find, you know, what's it mean when you get these flyers in the newspaper or show up in your mailbox? What does yeah. that mean? You know, right. I don't understand that things are on sale at this grocery store. Um, things that are just common sense, you know, because we've grown up in this culture. Right. So all these things um, really help out. Um, in teaching English as a second language is another way uh, you can do, do things like that. Um, so all of those really help us reach out to people of other cultures. And um, regardless of whatever political policies are going on, the diversity in the U.S. will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Projections are that um, 
that uh, that white Anglo-Saxons will be in the minority by mm. 2050. Okay. Wow. So won't be so there won't be any majority. There won't be right. a majority, but it'll, there'll be a plurality. Okay, which means no no one has 50 percent, but all these different races are mixed, and one out of six marriages is interracial. Wow. So it's just becoming more and more, you know, when they ask, oh, you, you white, you Latino, you black, the answer is no, it's becoming yeah. more and more common. I'm not any of those, I'm mixed race. Right. So uh, things like that just mean that we have to be, go more and more out of our way to, to make room for people that are different from us. So what we say in, in the book here, Matthew, yeah. is that when you're engaging someone of a different religion, you don't have to dismantle their religious system. Yeah, yeah. But go at the worldview level and find out what's propping up that system in order for the gospel to address that. So, for example, if you're dealing with someone who's Muslim, it's most likely it's a fear power worldview. And you can engage at the fear power level, which will be like uh, termites eating away at the roots of their faith system. And therefore, you don't have to hammer away at how Islam is incorrect. Allow the gospel to infiltrate the worldview, the roots of it. If you're dealing with someone who is Hindu or Buddhist, it's most likely you're at the shame honor worldview and allow the gospel to address that level. Someone mm -hmm. who is in Wicca, which we've had several of those encounters, they're mm -hmm. more likely to fear power worldview. People don't go into Wicca just because it's fun. Usually there's some kind of issue that they are losing uh, control, that they have fear and they want to find power over. So allow the gospel to address that. And if there's somebody who's de-churched or unchurched, it's most likely that they're uh, indifferent to the gospel and therefore presenting Christ who offers belonging with purpose. Yeah. So this gives you kind of some handles in order to know where to start conversations with people so that you're not just dumbfounded and you don't have to have like a script that is one size fits all. Yeah. But there's right. these different worldviews where you can start conversations and listen for the spirit of God to interact in those ways. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's... Um... That's that's really good because I feel like we forget sometimes if somebody was to come at us and try to uh, knock out all of our Christian faith, you know, things that we hold dear. I mean, we do not respond very well to that. So why would we think knocking down, you know, uh, Islam's holy things or, or Buddhist holy things or Hindu holy things? I don't know why we think that's a good strategy, you know, but I love how you talk about when we address the, the worldview, uh, it, it makes it makes a big uh, difference, you know, and, and I guess I've never really thought about how if you do read the Gospels, you don't see Jesus doing the same thing over and over and over again, you know, like you, you don't you don't really see that. And so I would assume he's probably the expert. So good idea to follow what he does. I really like that. Uh, so uh, one of the things that you talk about in the book uh, is an indigenous logic system. So uh, why is it important for effective intercultural evangelism? Why is this an important tool that we need to know about? Yeah, we'd call that like a, a local learning preference. And what we're finding is that um, each culture has a specific learning preference, the way that people receive information, they conceptualize it and, and remember it and then pass it on. So for, for example, there's shifts even in our own culture in the West, uh, moving away from a print 
preference to an oral preference. And what we find is that when people receive massive information through digital means, they start to exhibit the characteristics of oral learners as opposed mm. to print learners. And those oral learners are characterized, but they like to learn in community. They like to learn things that are holistic, like how do, what I'm learning here, how's it tied to other things that I know? They like to have images that communicate, not just words, right? They like to have memory hooks, whether like a song, because they say you become what you hum, you know, the, yes, a, yeah. a hook or a story or a proverb. Um, they like to experience something. Instead of learning from a distance, they want to experience it. And then they also want to have the sensory um, capacities engaged. So instead of just reading something, they also want to feel it, touch it, smell it, et cetera. Right. So what we're saying is when you understand that local learning preference, then you're starting to get into the local logic system and the gospel makes sense to them so that if they reject it, they reject it um, for the right reason, not the wrong reason. They shouldn't reject the gospel because it's the wrong logic system or it's the wrong worldview, but they should reject it by the, because of the cross, right? Right. So we're saying that listen well enough to understand that, that logic system, that learning preference, and then present the gospel in ways that make sense to them. So when we teach uh, evangelism here, we teach them storytelling because we think good evangelists are more like good storytellers now than they are people who lecture at others right mm -hmm. so learning the art of storytelling makes a lot of sense in a culture that is becoming more oral than print previously we used to say well hand out tracks or give these um these print kind of thinking patterns. right now we're saying let's shift to understand what is happening with a learning preference in our own culture mm -hmm. so, so well and and i think that's a great point because i've i've noticed this just talking to to people you know um in the respect that as a preacher, I love to preach. Okay. Like I only need one person and I can preach for hours. Okay. But yeah. uh, I have noticed that a lot of people in our culture, like you said, have changed. I mean, the way they consume material. I mean, you think about even right now, the popularity of, of podcasts, you know, most podcasts are not just one person talking and, and lecturing it's it's uh, an interview it's people in community you know and, and that's a great point how people have changed from the kind of this oral type of of consuming information you know and so knowing this uh what do you think we as a church can do for that you know like how do we make that shift for, to to meet people's way that they uh, respond to information and understand, you know, because for years, I mean, let's be realistic. We're lectured people, you know, like we love a good sermon. I mean, it's church people, but, but how do we change that approach to where we can meet people where they are at? Yeah. Even like with preaching, you know, I tell, so I tell people to spend as much time on the images as you do on the words that you speak. Mm. So I'm a, co-vocational pastor myself. I preach about once a week. I'm sorry, once a month. I have other guys that fill in. Yeah. I say, let's spend as much time on the images that are shown on the screen or the images that you paint through story or through capturing people as you do on the words, because the images will stick. You know, they say that it should be sticky and sneezable. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the sticky part is that it's memorable. The sneezable part is you can share it. 
I hate to use that analogy during. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's... <laughs> so, um, yeah, making sure that we we understand that images connect. So, in the book, we talk about some of the um, apps that have been developed on phones uh, by Crew, where they use images to help share the gospel. Where people look through these images, and then there's some video clips you can send to people. You know, those are uh, images that have music to it. So you're using all those memory hooks in there. Um, and then finding ways for people to experience uh, gospel conversations as opposed to learning at a distance. So, um, and then trying to engage the senses, that's, you know, trying to use not just the, the eyes, right? But also the ears, you know, and, and the, how they can touch things. So we think that attending to those characteristics of oral learners will greatly improve the effectiveness of how they receive that information, how they process it, remember it, and then are able to pass it on to others. Mm. Well, that's, uh, that's very good. You know, one of the things I've, I've noticed in my preaching, which it's very, it's hard to come up with great illustrations, you know, mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. But uh, what I found, like what you're talking about, is engaging these, these other senses and images really makes a difference, you know. And so, you know, in, in the past, I've tried to bring in il illustrations that uh, object illustrations and, and that sort of thing. And, and it is amazing how that that just keeps people's attention, keeps them engaged and a longer period of time. Like it's even funny if you just have a Sprite bottle up there on your podium, you know, people people are enamored by that for the whole time. They're like, what is he going to do with this uh, this this Sprite bottle? And, and so it, it is a very um, good thing. And, and I feel like it really uh, opens the door up for some creativity. You know, you talked about the the images uh, on the screen, you know, like I personally, I think that is it, it, it makes a difference when you have an image that connects to what you're talking about that pulls it all together and very, very good help there. Uh, so do you have any, you know, because sometimes people listen to talks and stuff and like, well, that sounds great. But uh, in my life, I just not seeing that being realistic. So do you have any like success stories to encourage folks? Say, look, it's doable. Yeah, well, this is really driving the book. Like we're writing for practitioners. We're not writing just so people have cool ideas or, you know, whatever. We're writing for practitioners and we've been practicing this for the last six years and we realized that people's confidence and competence are just expanding greatly so therefore um we had a so one example would be a gal named alice um she was invited to the meal and we we're sitting down with her and as she was talking you know she said well you know i went to church a while ago but i'm not haven't really been there for a while i just don't see the relevance of it so we thought that, you know, that's like the indifference kind of perspective. So they started right. to talk about belonging with purpose, how she can, uh, Christ offers us to belong into this family and provides purpose for life. And as we were talking though, she said, you, you know, really what I've been doing, I've been, um, you know, finding that Wicca, yeah, I'm going to Wicca to try to find some help. Mm. So that, that kind of shifts the conversation. And, and this is an illustration where most people don't inhabit just one particular worldview. Usually they have at least one or two. Okay. Conversation shifted from the indifference slash belonging with purpose to the fear slash power. So the conversation then started to say, well, can you tell us some of the areas of your life that you're looking to get some power? That, that's why you're going to Wicca. And this just opened up some conversation for her 
such that she's able to kind of unburden herself of some of her fears. Mm. And then it led for us to describe how Jesus provides power. It's not just a good idea system, right? But Jesus provides power, the power of God for salvation. And this was like a new thought for her. Um, in the end, it led her to go to church with one of the people we were talking with um, later. So the, the point here is that caught up on the conversation where God has been already talking to her. Mm. And once we found out where that was, you can direct that so that Jesus provides the, the answer, provides what she's needing, and that leads her towards Christ. And eventually Christ. she comes to church and she's able to continue that spiritual journey. Um, we've had lots of conversations like that, and we're realizing this is so practical, um, and it's actually learnable. So we've developed like a little face-sharing card game where it takes each of these four worldviews and helps people learn it through a game. Really? One of those, man. And so as they play the game, then they start to, it's actually fun, right? And they actually yeah. learn about these four different worldviews and biblical stories that address each of these worldviews. So they gain some confidence in it. And once they practice it in a game, they feel much more prepared to go out in real life. It's kind of like if you're playing baseball, you know, um, you get some batting practice before you go in front of the pitcher who's going to throw a 90 mile an hour fastball at you, right? right. So the, the game is kind of like batting practice. And once you have fun and learn it with a group of people, then you go out in real life and you find out, you know what? I know where to start this conversation. I know how to engage them well. Yeah, yeah that, that's... Um... <laughs> that where do you where do you find this game at oh yes oh yeah so i can send you one <laughs> yes and I'll send you the url of the card game that you get at digitalbiblecollege.com okay uh, we developed the game about five six years ago it's been in it took a few years to develop it, it we did about three it. different iterations but yeah. um it's at the point where um Actually, people in class love it, and usually they want to get several copies of it to use for either their Sunday school or their youth group, or if, and part of our purpose here, Matthew, is we want to help people to learn how to evangelize in ways that are natural, that listen, this double listening. You listen to the Holy Spirit, you listen to the people, right. but also what's really driving us is that we want to find ways that they can pass it on to others. In other words, teach others. So instead of just Matthew doing all the evangelism at your church, we want to find ways that you can teach the rest of your church to right. learn how to evangelize people at their work, at their play, et cetera. So we've had a partnership with Knox Fellowship that's helped to fund some of these uh, development of games. We have a card game. We have a board game that we use as well and, and different ways to, to get people to try evangelism in a way that's fun because mm -hmm. we're, we're facing a bit of a headwind here. You know, when, when people hear the word evangelism, they don't always have warm fuzzies. You know, no. Hear that. <laughs> so we're trying to say, you know what? Um, let's get away from some of the stereotypes of the, that the word, the baggage it has, and let's find uh, creative, gamified ways to be able to engage so that people develop their confidence and their competence, and therefore it empowers them. Well, you know, that's... Uh... That, that's a good good way to get people uh, in, involved. And what I love about it is I, I feel like we like to do stuff that we are successful at. And, and what I love about this that we're talking about is that, you know, probably the reason that we fail a lot of times in, in evangelism is, is because we're approaching people that have a different worldview from us and we're trying to, evangelize them 
like we would evangelize ourselves, you know? And so what I love about this, this gives us tools to succeed. And when we succeed, uh, we want to do it more. Like, you know, uh, it's just like if you go fishing and you don't catch anything, you really don't want to go back. But yeah. if you go fishing and you catch a 10 pound bass, you're going to be out there in the middle of the night, like all day trying to find another one. And so great point. Yeah. And Matthew, I'll just add in uh, something else too. You know, if we think of it, a lot of times we get this word evangelism stuck in our head. Well, uh, for those of us that live in neighborhoods and like that, a lot of times if we just look around our neighborhood and think, how can I help my neighbors? Yeah. And so, for example, a story with that is we had a, a neighbor who was going through a very difficult time, very difficult season in their marriage. And um, they, they like one night they called and they said, hey, we, I just don't feel safe here. Can I come over and um, bring my kids over? Yeah. Spend the night. Really, um, when we just think, how can I help people out? We're, we're thinking the way this is holistic evangelism. We're saying, I'm going to match my, what I do with what I say. Right. And, you know, came over, they spent the night, we've, we've walked with them, you know, now they're part of our church, their family. And, um, and a lot of times just simply thinking in terms of, Hey, how, what is it that, that needs to be addressed here? What's the real need of the moment? And then um, that gives us clues into the worldview. She was, she had a lot of fear in her life. Uh, she, there's a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of insecurity and just praying for the power and protection of God over, over her and her family, uh, just, yeah. just transformation. You know, it didn't happen. It's not an event, like one moment something happened, but over time, it just, it just brought regular transformation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's really, you know, that's just part of what the book's about, you know? Well, that, and, and that's a good point. You know, if we start with the question, how, how can I help them, you know, and find out that answer that that helps a lot because people really don't care about what we have to say until they know that we care, you know, and, and that said a lot and it's so true. Um, so what, you know, what, what's some of the, the trends, present trends that, that we should pay attention to that, that has an effect on the way that we, we do evangelism. Yeah, well, I think we've uh, mentioned a little bit about like the fear power seems to be on the rise, yeah. particularly among those who have addictions. And we have um, Professor George Hunter said, if you count up all the kind of things that are addictive, right, whether it's the, the classic, you know, drugs, alcohol, but now like sex and video gaming and all this kind of stuff that just kind of sucks people in. He estimates about 30 to 40 percent of the U.S. population has some kind of addictive behavior, right? right? So therefore, what they're looking for in Christ is not to remove guilt or shame or indifference, but it's to remove this um, this fear and and to get power to overcome that addiction. So Christ is presented then as the one who gives the power of God to break through the addictive behavior that we have no other hope for. And we see that that's on the rise, right? There's lots of like um, addictive behaviors that are on yes. the rise. And I think COVID just kind of exasperated that. Yeah. <clears throat> it just kind of accelerated the trend that was there. And uh, Bud may talk about the shame on the rise due to yeah. social media. You know, shame needs an audience. Social media provides that audience. Uh, Did you that? Sure, I can, I can talk about that too. And just, just finishing the thought there on the, on the peer power, um, like there's programs like Celebrate Recovery. Mm. 
uh, which is essentially brings Christ to the center of the 12 step program. And so that was, has been developed a couple, well, quite a few years ago, but it's very helpful uh, for people to understand how the power of Christ is stronger than any other power. Yeah. Very, very, very uh, redemptive. And so like with the, with the honor shame, like, uh, yeah, like he was saying, you know, social media provides a ready audience for anything, anything you do. And uh, it can shame or it can honor people, you know, just by calling people out. Uh, so that's one of the things why people, people easily associate with, uh, with shame and honor. People like Brene Brown, uh, she gave a TED Talk, which has been viewed like 50 million times yeah. and written, written books that have bestsellers. You know, she really brings shame into contemporary space, but she's just naming what people feel in our society. And, uh, and kind of the old thought was this, it, well, if you confess your sins, all the shame will go away. But that's not really true. A lot of times um, we feel shame for things that we've done, but there's this other part of shame too, which is what has been done to us by others. Yeah. And we don't, want that, we don't want that called out. We don't want that known. Uh, we want that hidden. But Christ, you know, the power of Christ is saying, hey, I, you're accepted into this family you're accepted as Christ's brother. You're accepted as a, as a child of God. And um, those types of things say, it doesn't matter what's, what you have done or what's been done to you. You know, that shame is covered up. And so um, those types of things are, are really powerful. Um, yeah. yeah. Another area that we've seen on the rise is um, the rise of indifference. Yeah. So in other words, you know, people have started to track the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who claim yeah. no religious affiliation. Yeah. And it turns out those who claim no religious affiliation, you can break it down into four categories. The largest category out of that no religious affiliation is what's called indifference. They're simply indifferent to the gospel. And that category keeps rising, right, uh, through yeah. the different generations. We can track that. So this is really important. We have this whole chapter on some of the research we've done on those who are indifferent. How do you engage them? A lot of people told them, told us, this provides some hope because instead of giving up on those who are unchurched or dechurched, perhaps our evangelism is starting at the wrong point. Yeah. Perhaps we should really start of describing how Jesus offers belonging in a community with yeah. purpose, purpose for life. These are two areas that people are looking for and Jesus provides that. Because one of the anomalies is in um, like contemporary Gen Z, millennials, they value privacy so highly that it leads to a yearning for community yeah, because right. they feel safe and they feel disconnected. And the, the family of God provides that and, and Jesus welcomes that. So this belonging with purpose, we feel, is a message that resonates with a lot more people than the whole uh, guilt justice yeah. kind of presentation. Yeah, we see that rising. Well, that's uh, that's that's very good, you know. And and I remember going through some uh, what they call uh, greenhouse training for church planting, and uh, one of the things they talked about was you, you have to find out what what is why is the gospel good news in your community, you yeah. know. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And and I think if if we realize that and work hard to understand that, I, I feel like we're going to have a, a lot better 
su success rate uh, in in our dealings with people and the relationships that 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 we build and 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 these present uh, trends are are interesting and and I think like you say if we pay attention to them and we understand that I mean you look at Jesus he he understood what was going on with people you know I mean he didn't just ignore what was going on and and I think that's great uh, well look uh, what thank y'all for coming on the show yeah my pleasure thank you for having us. It, it's been a lot of it's been very helpful a lot of information i got a lot of ideas that i'm gonna bring back and uh and people are gonna love them so uh well well look um hard games let me know your address matthew i'll send it to you yeah for sure for okay. sure right. well uh thank you for listening to kingdom builders and learning how to mission have mission on god and have a great week goodbye <laughs>